0: This episode of Hell is for Hyphenates was recorded live at the Sydney Film Festival on the 5th of June 2014. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this very special live edition of Hell is for Hyphenates. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what the show is, it's a monthly podcast. Every month we're joined by a special guest who chooses a filmmaker, and we go through that filmmaker's entire career. My name is Lee Zachariah. I'm a writer-critic-mobile hyphen, hyphen, army surgical host. <laughs> And I'm joined as always by.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm writer hyphen director hyphen criminally underseen late 70s,
0: 20th century Fox period, Paul Anthony Nelson. Would you please welcome Michael Altman? Thank you. Now, there's a question we ask uh, all of our guests, and I see no reason not to ask you. Uh, when did you first become a fan of Robert Altman? <laughs>
2: Let's see here. Um, yeah, very, he was. Uh, he had a big, great deal to do with uh, a lot of my life and my story. <laughs> it's an
0: amazing, amazing filmography. It's kind of mind blowing that even if you're a fan, as you know, I've always been a fan of his work, and I had no idea just how many films he would made. He's someone who has spanned so many eras, and he's been instrumental in all of them. His Contemporaries range from Alfred Hitchcock to P.T. Anderson, which is insane. Uh, and I've always thought that, like, because most filmmakers are indelibly tied to a certain film period. You know, you've got uh, Martin Scorsese, he's still making films, but when you think of him, he's the 70s guy. When you think of Robert Altman, you think of Mash in Nashville, but you think of The Player in Shortcuts and Gosford Park and Prairie Home Companion, or at least I do. Don't forget Popeye. And There's Popeye. Popeye. <laughs> oh, we'll definitely get to Popeye. Uh, <laughs> But I wonder if, because he's a constant throughout all of these eras, if that's diminished his legacy a little bit. If he doesn't get the credit he's due, because you can't tie him to a particular movement.
2: Well, I can tell you that it was it was all of his life, and um, you know, even even finding out. I can't tell you how many things I've learned from other people, from the press and from different things about my family. And it's just remarkable um, about – you guys probably know a lot more than I do about a <laughs> lot of this stuff. And I'll just say that right out of the shoot. But, um, but I, you know, I do have my perspective, um, you know, what I saw. But um, it was all – you know, there was there was nothing else going on in his life or in his mind, um, and anything else that wasn't about his craft, about making films or anything like that, was either a distraction or an annoyance, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just constantly since the time I was first I can remember.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's certainly evidenced in the number of films he made. I would list them all, but we only have 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: You know, the, the, that's, that's true, too. And, and, and if you know anything about the process of filmmaking, then uh, the amount of work that goes into prepping, uh, you know, a one show is phenomenal. Um, some, some films take t- 10 years or more to, to put together and to put all the pieces in, in place and to get them financed and actually roll a year of post-production so when you think about it, um, what there's, uh, you probably know the number. I've always said it's something like 49 feature films and how, I don't know how many. Uh, it it's depends
0: it's, if you count the movie. Yeah. yeah, there's, there's well,
2: 36 theatrically released Okay, see, there films. you go. Okay, that's good to know because you know, now I can quote <laughs> you guys on
1: that. <laughs> but then there's 10 feature length telemovies, and right. then there's TV series. Well, like Secret
2: Honor, is that considered a... T- that's theatrical list. That's, a, oh, that's it? one okay. of the 36, yeah. Right, or, or, but there's or, also or streamers, s- or one yeah, of those. Yeah, that too. There's also like oh, okay. uh,
0: come back to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, which was yeah. made for TV, but he convinced them to. Well, let it was made t- for
2: the stage.
0: Uh, yeah, it was made for the stage and then filmed for right. Showtime, I think. Right. And so then I- he convinced them to let him take it around to film festivals before it aired. Right. So what? Is yeah, that? I like that. They
1: they, they, they thought, oh, well, he's going to make this for Showtime. It's going to be for cable TV, and he's like, yeah, I want to shoot it in Super Sixteen. Uh. Like, okay, sure. Yeah, and I want to take it to film festivals. Yeah, and, and eventually he talked a little in that beautiful Robert Altman way. I don't know if Miranda it ever got a
2: real theatrical release, but it well could have. Mm. A, it, it plays really well. Yeah.
0: So he, he s- did a lot of work in television before his feature film career. He worked on Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Bonanza and Combat. And I like that even in television back then, there was still that maverick sense. There's a story about him wanting to shoot on a special type of Kodak film that only worked at night in low-light conditions. And Kodak wouldn't let him use it, so he found some behind their back, and it looked so good they asked him to be their spokesman. <laughs> yeah.
2: he, if there was anything new out there, he was, uh, he was all over it, and he was always looking for some way to push the boundaries in, in some, some aspect, whether it was the sound or the camera or whatever, or, or his... Um, just stylizing stuff, you know, as far as that goes.
1: Well, it's amazing. He um, before he started making films, he made um, d- industrial films and training films with a company called the Kelvin Company in Kansas City, and they'd never used a directional mic before until he got there. They were using omnidirectional mics, and he was the first one to go, "Hey, maybe this one might work better." <laughs> and they were they were just, they were like cavemen who found fire, I think, <laughs> yeah. and kind of
2: yeah. And it's just he was innovating from the very start. It's kind of incredible well i think that was just part of his character and his approach to it so and 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 hopefully we'll be able to like cover some of the innovative stuff that he did because it was a lot of things that um, a lot of films where there was specifically cases where there was new technology that either hadn't been used before hadn't been fully developed or fully, you know, realized as far as what they were able to do with it. Um, multi-track recording, radio mics, um, you know, various lenses and, and uh, uh, camera techniques, um, um, you know, you uh, know. The, even the um digital editorial process as those as as um uh, digital intermediate um post production started to come through um different film stocks as you mentioned um uh, on and on and on if there was something if there was something out there that hadn't been fully realized he was he was on it or he was looking for yeah. the guy that knew how to do it that's you know that was really it so well he his first two narrative
0: films you Oops. can see his genesis Countdown. <laughs> Sorry? Countdown? Countdown. I Oops. love Countdown. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, know, I know that it got taken away from him <laughs> and edited and the ending changed. But you can still see in Countdown, which is his 1967 film uh, about the space program, before we'd landed on the moon, it was about going to the moon and... Who uh, was it? James Or not Calm? going to the moon. Or not going yeah. to the moon. <laughs> James Calm and Robert Duvall. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, there's a great story... About uh, he talked to Loring Mandel who was the writer and he said why you've got all these people talking over each other and Mandel said yeah that's what Cape Canaveral's like and he went oh okay let's try that now Mandel tells that story Uh, so it might be him trying to take credit. For, but.
2: <laughs> you know, uh, all these all these uh, incidents, including this one right here, right now, are <laughs> going to be from the perspective of the person that's telling the story. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I can only tell you what, you know, my versions are, <laughs> sure. and, and I'm sure that he's uh, – uh, there's, there's probably something in there. I'd never heard that, but well, yeah, we're going to learn a lot here. we yeah. to <laughs> learn as much as you guys do, I'm sure. Let me tell you about your father. <laughs> that suddenly got
0: very Blade Runner. Um, but 10 years earlier, he'd made a film called The Delinquents right. in 1957. Right. And there was something else that was sort of a, a very altman be. Is it going to be weird referring to your father as Altman, given you're also a Well,
2: I, we always refer to him as Bob, so you can call him... Okay, you know, Bob. You can call him, can call him Altman. It's... A, <laughs> it's
0: yeah. We'll mix it up. Uh, yeah. But in in The Delinquents, uh, in 1957, which is a, a film about... It, it sort of plays a little like uh, an after-school special. It's like, wh- this is what happens when children run amok. It was
2: a propaganda film. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> it, Definitely,
0: it, 100%. Sure. <laughs> it's a classic. It's a kind of a teen delinquent film
1: that was very popular at the time, post Rebel Without a Cause and all that sort of thing. I thought it was surprisingly good. It's for a first film, for a $63,000 film he made in Kansas City. And it's actually quite scary at times. I, I got quite a kick
2: out of it, actually. What was that? Uh, remember Reefer Madness? Yes. Wasn't that the other one that was... Like, it was It was kind of along that line where it was like, don't do this. <laughs> don't, don't let your children go
0: here and do this. It, it's not preachy until the voiceover <laughs> kicks in at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting. It, it wasn't, right. Yeah. It,
2: it's, it's somewhat dramatic in content in the, it, uh, up front. I, but, but
0: something really important happened on that film... Uh, Tom Lough- Loughlin? Loughlin? Loughlin, Loughlin, yeah. Loughlin. Uh was apparently terrible to work with. Right. And...
2: Oh, 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 learning how to work with actors. <laughs> yes. Because he set up... <laughs> set the tone for the rest of his career. Well, his, his great
0: quote was, uh, the minute an actor comes into a cast, into a group, it's like DNA. They're there. And if you take them out and replace them with someone else, it's a different creature. It's like an elephant instead of a rhinoceros. To think that you can control this animal, you're wrong. All you can do is assemble it. So, thank you, Tom Laughlin. Yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah.
1: Don't thank him for the Billy Jack movies. Just thank him for that <laughs> well, there are other things i 'm sure yeah no yeah, that, that are best ignored that didn 't go well
2: <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, that is from what I understand that whole relationship with yeah the, but I, but you know that may have had a lot to do with the way that he addressed and dealt with actors um, going forward um, you know i 'm not sure, but his rapport was um, w- it was respectful. That was mm-hmm. like the. That was the, probably the key element about why there were so many actors that were so anxious and willing to work for him and for nothing. You know, one of the things that you, you guys will probably uh, cover this, but one of the things was um, nobody got over scale. It was just a general rule that if you wanted to work on one of his films, you got SAG scale, and and that was one of the things, that, an early precedent that was set, and and yet anybody would have, you know, the, everybody jumped on it. I think
0: one of the actors in A Wedding said, uh, when he approached him to do it, he said, this is what everyone else is getting paid, this is what you're getting paid. And he was so impressed that he, he wasn't being given this line about, oh, you're getting more than everyone else or as much. That he just went, yeah, okay. Do you remember I mean, who that
2: was? Uh,
0: no. So,
2: <laughs> I wonder. One of the, I wonder if it was Desi.
0: I don't think it was. No, I, don't th- no, I think. I, it was. I but um, there are 700 actors yeah, in the yeah. wedding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with Carol Burnett. The, and A Wedding is one
2: <laughs> of the films that I really insisted on coming that to bring to this festival. Uh, it's not one of the most popular films, but I have a lot to say about that film. I, I think it's just probably. Got more of, of of Bob and all of the things that he you know kind of developed and nurtured um, uh, in it. it more than any other film in my opinion I think or as much so anyway it's yeah. pretty cool yeah. it awesome. it is it is great I'm why, really why, glad why, that's here
0: yeah yeah why uh, why was there that ten year gap between his first two films?
2: Um, Probably the same reason that anybody else has a gap in their career, lack of funding, <laughs> inability to be able to put a deal together. Yeah, so, um, it's hard to you know he didn't have Mash under his belt, right? Mm. You know, I mean that was, and and Mash was a, a complete anomaly. It was a, it was a um, uh, it was one of those kind of cosmic timing where everything came together right, and um, I think that. That allowed him to have the career that he did, um, at least at the start. And then it, it you know, then it came on. But Mm -hmm. it's hard to hard to get a deal, especially in in that environment, in that time, in the in the industry, dealing with studios. uh, There weren't independent films were. No, almost non-existent. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, f- if films were done through studio financing, and they had to be approved and run through the whole gauntlet of, you know, suits and corporate, you know, mentality, and and uh, mm. there's not anything like it is today, where they reverse engineer these scripts in the Black Tower at, at <laughs> Universal based on, you know, what the popular video game of the day is, and, and who's buying Coca-Cola and whatever, mm. so. Well, that's
1: the thing, because he did. He, he he essentially made these two independent movies in Kansas City, being the uh, the Delinquents and the James Dean story, and then worked in. And I guess, as you say, independent film was such a small speck on the film landscape back it was then. Almost non-existent. Exhibition was almost non-existent outside right. of localities. So it's probably no accident that that Hollywood didn't quite notice at that point. And then he went to he went to LA and started working in television where he spent the next 10 years doing all that stuff, like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Combat. And Combat in particular was a show that he actually helped create the visual style for. Um, he kind of was established that, that, the look and feel of that show, which at the time was quite realistic for depiction of war on television. And so, yeah, so he kind of went through this 10-year and kind of got caught on the TV hamster wheel kind of a little bit. And then eventually, with countdown, returned to features. Well, it was it,
2: it, hamster wheel or not. It was work. I yeah. mean, you know, he was able to ply his craft there, and and um, and that was, uh, again, that was everything. That was what it was. Once he started, uh, you know, with the Calvin Company and started working on industrial films, that was the direction he was going in. And and uh, and he was a very very willful man. So you know, as long as he, when he had his once he had his direction set, that was it. Mm.
0: So, one of the exciting things about going through his filmography is of course, discovering these gems that just aren 't talked about the way his his big films are, and one is that cold day in the park from 1969. Uh, Yeah, another wow' one.
2: I'm so glad that that 's here as well yeah, that was another so one right. that um, I consider that the like the first film that he was able to really spread his wings on yeah. and actually do what he wanted to do with yeah. it and um uh, it, he wasn 't um Um, let's say, influenced by any kind of deals with producers or with studios on that film. And he was able to really... That was really his... His uh, career cracker there, yeah. and uh, and it was not, it w- wasn't really widely released. If it was, you may know uh, again whether that got a release. I don't think it did. A very small one. Yeah, yeah. maybe a week or two, and yeah. then they canned it. But mm-hmm. it's a, it's it, it's one of the, f- it's I think it's one of the first films in the in the in the series here yeah. for Sydney. Fabulous film. I mean, it's and and there you get to see the Hitchcock influence mm-hmm. and and uh, and just just some masterful work. uh, Early on, when you look at it in in perspective with the rest of the body of work, you can see so much of of what was to come. Well, you can you can see that
0: classical style because you know you grew up in that classical period of
2: of of cinema before you know, and it's one of the most linear (laughs) storylines that you know. I mean, it it really it really was not that whole um, you know um, ensemble cast with uh, you know kind of. Helter uh, skelter stuff. It was a very straightforward film, and it's very dark, and it's you know um, a, a, a really solid psychological. It's a, it's it's disturbing for what yeah. it is. You know, there's I think there's a little blood in the end, but it's it's but gets, it's spooky. It's creepy, is what it is. It, it's yeah. creepy. You know? It's it, a creepy film. And there's
1: know? two things. So there's that thing with there are techniques in there that are so what would become to be known Altman-esque. She's often looking out the window while we hear people talking behind her and we're barely kind of... We're dipping in and out of the conversation, but what's interesting is really what we're seeing.
2: Um, And the camera work. Some of the camera work was very... um uh, presaged a lot of the things that became kind of like um, it, It's definitely that, a
0: classical style he, butting heads with this avant-garde style that would become his hallmark.
2: And he was throwing in the pot references and was dealing with the sex um, uh, subjects and stuff in there. Um, uh, you've got a spinster that's f- sexually frustrated and uh, and it's dealing with all of those things that were just not talked about. You, mm. That was not happening mm. in out there in the world at the time. So um, even the subject matter and some of the um some of the secondary and backstory story in there was very um out there um although it's 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 a, like i said it's a very linear storyline it's linear storytelling and it's um, it's somewhat more conventional than some of the other stuff but there was a lot of stuff you know he, he, that was it started breaking the rules right there you yeah. know what i mean with that one so
1: it i recommend you i uh, think both of these guys will agree. See it; it's the a ending will film. stay with you for days. Yeah, I'm it's a fabulous film. It really is. It's
2: it's something else. And it's slow. It's you know it's a little slow moving. You know, but uh, if you're if you're watching it for under in this context, then it's pretty good.
1: And it also starts a bit of a trend of Altman being great at genres that you don't immediately th- recognize mm. as Altman esque genres. Like you didn't you don't necessarily think, oh, Robert Altman psychological
2: thriller, but He's just as natural as that
1: as anything else is ever done. You know, I
2: think that um, it had a lot – I think Images was kind oh, of a picking gorgeous. it up, uh, if, you, if you'd ever seen uh, the film Images. And one of the little shorts that we're running is a spoof on um, – you know, we have a couple of little things that haven't, haven't been seen by mm. anybody, some short films. And one of them is a, is a little spoof made by the crew on uh, images called Damages, which we got at the last minute. And I had never seen it before, but, um, but Images was kind of a continuation of that same kind of a style of psychological thrillers and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it,
0: fabulous Images, I, I never would have thought he would have done a horror film. And then I watched Images and uh, then spent the rest of the night running around the house going, oh, my God, Images is amazing. Uh, it was a little embarrassing, <laughs> but it was very exciting because that's one that you have to seek out. I yeah. don't know if it's playing...
1: No, here. it's not part of the retro.
0: Seek it out. That, uh, it's an extraordinary film. Um, but after that cold day in the park, then there was Korea. That's when it happened.
2: And then there was Korea. <laughs> Great opening text. It's not Which Vietnam. Yeah, no. no, don't say that. MASH in <laughs> 1970.
1: Literally kicking off a decade. Mm. A, 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 a decade not only in years, but in, in aesthetic, in the new Hollywood. I mean, as much as things like Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate and Easy Rider led to this, MASH kind of feels like the 70s have arrived.
3: Mm. And
1: it's it gets better every time you see it. There's so much, so many layers of 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 hilarity and great dialogue and subtext, and it's just.
2: I Fantastic. just watched, we just, uh, UCLA uh, is running this um, complete retrospective now, and um, they're about three quarters of the way through it in Los Angeles, and uh, we just saw, that we've got a totally restored, the print that's here is is the restored print, it's gorgeous. looks like, it, it probably looks better than it did when it was released, is my guess, because wow. they've gone through and they've completely redone the negative, but, um, and I've seen it a couple of times, I've seen the movie a few times. A few hundred times, yeah. But I just watched it again. What a couple of weeks ago, Uh, we saw it down there, and I'm just always amazed at how well it holds up. Mm. And you know, it's one of those things. You know, a classic film is one that you know you can see at any period, at any time, and it still is is holding its own. But that's it's uh, it's always over the last forty years plus since that film came out it's always every time i see it i'm always amazed at how it do, it's not dated yeah. yeah it's never been dated ever any and and even today you know I'm, I'm i'll be 60 soon and it's like not i, I look at it and i'm just like going ah oh, it's fabulous yeah. yeah it's just it's you know the, the humor holds up and it's just oh, terrific like crazy yeah. Yeah.
1: and it's just it's i get it's so kind of so much of it is so kind of off the cuff and 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 kind of it it just feels so natural and 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 cynical and but also kind of yeah oh, I just I do I do it.
0: You wonder how he made that film like got a film like that through the studio system and um and he claimed that it was because Fox was making two other huge war movies Patton and Tora Tora Tora. Oh, you said it three times. Did, right?
2: <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and uh, Tora Good. cubed. <laughs> yes there. uh that's that's true yeah well, I well mean, that, that's what happened he was completely they, he was off the radar they didn't think it was going to be anything they weren't paying him anything none of the actors it was no big actors in it there was nothing about it that was uh, and and laddie alan ladd jr who was uh, w- was a real ally and, yeah. a, and, and, a, and a great guy um Uh, Was the only one that was really paying any attention to it. He greenlit the film, and basically, you know, Fox figured that this was, you know, all the studios. They they'll do that. They'll have their big, they'll have their all their their money on the on the winning horse, right? And then they'll get a couple of a couple of knockoffs for the background. And this Mm -hmm. was just. It just caught everybody off guard, and and it, it was one of those things where, like again, you know, I said this earlier, but the you know the universe conspired for all these elements to come together, and to you know the the, the situation and the timing was right, you know, for uh, yeah, and you know, look how many careers were launched, and it, and Fox wasn't doing well at the time financially. Mm. The studio itself was not one of the one of the top, and that really put him that gave him a, a nice little shot in the arm.
0: Yeah. It, it, it is an incredible film, and there is that story that someone at the studio said, w- "Why are you making it look like that? It's gritty. Everyone's talking over each other. It's you know, there's so much blood. Why?" And he said, "Oh, that's what war's like." And apparently, they went back to Patton and Torotorotoro and said, "Could you make it look a little more like Mash? That's not <laughs> how war looks. It's like not- uh, you, you know what?
2: Uh, who knows? What the, <laughs> what re- uh, you know what really happened in those in those rooms? You know, those it's it's a it, great story. Yeah, whether it'd it's be great crime. if it did, yeah, it, it sounds good.
0: <laughs> so he's just he's now the director of MASH he's now really launched his career and he makes Brewster
2: McCloud <laughs> uh, uh, Brewster McCloud was the first film that he referred to as well how can you like one of your children more than the other <laughs> people ask him <laughs> about what he thought about that film it's really uh, that was the first time he went into what uh, uh, I don't know some kind of Bizarre acid trip kind of thing. <laughs> and had a had a moment where he was like, uh, uh, it, "It's such a strange film," and and yet it's it's uh, it's really a trip. Um, I mean, I really
0: do think most like films would be better served if they all
2: had uh, René
0: O'Ghanois slowly turning into a bird, <laughs> Into a chicken or something, <laughs> outside <laughs> of the narrative of the film, just
2: occasionally cut back to him. <laughs> it- it if you've, it's the most. It's it, you know he. You can see that that every once in a while his sense of humor would rise and he would make another film like that. Yeah, and there's there's a few of them. I mean, uh, the <laughs> one of the later ones was Doctor T and the Women, yes. which was like it's like what? <laughs> Come on. it's pure mania. Like, is there? Well, like, it was it, car, almost cartoon. Just yeah, like he yeah. was like really went off the deep end with some of the films.
1: I kind of like, Brewster <laughs> McLeod's almost the closest. He's come to making a slasher movie. As as all these people dying across the city. This mysterious kind of bird death, and you know the presaging of the bird shit on the head. Oh, oh uh, Stacy Keats rolling around in the Rolls
2: Royce. Yes, the and he's it's like a funny years film. Old. I, I mean, at the, if you think about it, at the time when it came out, it was like, "What?" <laughs> at the time, okay, so you, so okay, so you got a big hit at the studio, and now you can do anything you want. This is what you got? <laughs> Seriously, come on, please. <laughs> I love it. It's like a career suicide bomber. Or like "OC have... and Stiggs" was another <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> which this, which would I don't think it, uh, MGM canned that film. It was, uh, uh, and and it's really. It's, it was based on a National Lampoon short story. O.C. Instincts was. It was like I don't. I'm jumping around your no, that's sort of yeah, no, do. but there are certain films that kind of fall into these little c- classifications. Do you want to
0: get the really weird ones out of the way first. Totally <laughs> you want to understand. talk about
2: health now, and, and uh. <laughs>
0: but it's uh, yeah. I mean, watching Brewster, I had absolutely no idea what was going on, but it was so weird that I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go with this. This is this is fantastic, oh whatever it God. is, and yeah. it's
1: yeah. funny and original. Like it, There's yeah. There's his sense of humor. Is just on all. It's like a four-alarm fire. It's, it's just this. Yeah, you'll never see another film like it. But because uh, he
0: bizarre. made it, was, but it was uh, it was probably good. He made that because when he went to make his western, McCabe and Miss, Mrs Miller, the next year. He, called, he really wanted Leonard Cohen to do the music yeah. and he called just, Leonard, just sorry.
2: back up to Brewster for Brewster, a second yeah. for all of the progress that he made with being able to do what he wanted to with MASH he lost as much it was like oh, two wow. steps forward and one yeah. step back with Brewster because the studios were going like oh, what seriously yeah. unreleasable film unmarketable film it was like you know, un- almost unwatchable <laughs> I love that his career now. is
0: peppered with those that yeah. you can do whatever you want oh no no yeah, actually <laughs> it's like just strap on the dynamite yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it happens about five times. It does, yeah. But yeah, no, he called uh, for McKay and Mrs. Miller. He called Leonard Cohen up and he said, I'm Rod Altman, director of MASH. Have you seen it? And Cohen said, no. And he went, oh, well, I also made a film you probably wouldn't have seen called Brewster McLeod. And he said, oh, oh I just I came loved out of that, that a few hours ago. He'd literally seen it that day and he went, oh, I loved it, whatever you want. I'll d- whatever you want, it's yours. Whatever you're doing. Yeah, McCabe's There's
2: another one of those great convergences of energies for yeah. McCabe. I mean, what a fabulous film that is! I just, just a, just a real gem. You know, uh, and and if, you know, everybody assumes that I'm going to be prejudiced with you know I love everything. Well, there's a lot of films that that my father made that were really awful (laughs) and um which is which is okay but um but and and, but there are there are those films there's uh you know mccabe is one of those that i just cherish Mm -hmm. i just love it and um leonard cohen's contributions to that were so integral to the whole feel and the look and the look of the film and it was it was just such a treat to be around for for those you know for those special moments and um just McCabe is fabulous, and you know Warren Beatty was another one of those. There was a, there's a few actors in his whole career that were that were not the ones that were gushing over what a great honor and yep. pleasure yeah. it was to work with him, and and, that, and Warren was one of them. But boy, did he was he able to extract a a Mm -hmm. great performance and to make that film into what it was it was fabulous yeah you couldn't
0: couldn't tell from on screen because it's so brilliant on screen but then reading about the clashes they had because you know Warren Beatty was uh, you know getting into the producing and directing and so he really
2: wanted control and that uh, again all these films um, they're you know they're made in the cutting room Mm -hmm. you know and so um, you know you tend to think that Oh whatever happens on the set is you know, some sometimes uh you know, like Donald Sutherland and and, um, and Elliot Gould were so appalled at at his directorial style when they were there and they were screaming and yelling at the at the studio going, What's who is this guy that's telling us to just say whatever we want to and I, where's my lines? I want to know what my line is here. And they tried to get him fired, didn't oh they? Oh yeah, yeah, they did. And and Elliot's great because you know he was he was just as adamant. About it, uh, Donald Sutherland never really came around. He mm. never really warmed. But um, but um, you talk to um, Elliot. He's such a f- fabulous guy, and and he. His whole attitude about life and his career and everything like that was changed over a period of time yeah and then, and then of course you got some great performance uh, long goodbye is another mm-hmm. one of those gems it's just uh, uh, and at the time it wasn 't you know it, it, I think that 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 's kind of like good wine it's kind of yeah. as, as the years have gone by that that film is one in particular that 's kind of like gotten better and better as you go on. because everybody was going, oh it 's Raymond Chandler, and we 're supposed to have this mm-hmm. you know that's not. Him. (laughs) wait a minute (laughs) yeah
1: i've got some serious feelings about the long goodbye it's my favorite robert altman film oh really yeah yeah, i adore it and the thing is i I genuinely feel it's a film 20 years before its time because you look at it now it's the stuff of cohen brothers it's the stuff of quentin tarantino it's the stuff of it it fits perfectly into the the 90s and beyond and it's just—it th- wasn't—it th- wasn't when it came out because I was, was so th- married to you know yeah. Bogart and you know that right. sort of fifties version of film noir and yeah, it's where's it's, the
0: trench coat? Where's the, yeah, uh, yeah, the film noir? Yeah. yeah, it's
1: and now it's the long goodbye is ground zero for neo noir. It's yeah. it's everything we know and love now. It's just brilliant and Gould is amazing in it. Yeah. Just you watch yeah. it and you go, why why wasn't he the biggest star of the nineteen seventies?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that his um, his career was what it was, but. Uh, you know, I don't know how many times you get an opportunity to really fill out a role, you know, to your potential as an actor. And um and there was a lot of there was a lot of people who who didn't get any other opportunities or maybe they weren't capable of doing more, hmm. you know, in in other situations and stuff like that. You know, there's quite a few actors who were like really good in old films and quite didn't quite do much else, yeah. you know, or 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 anything else of of note. Of course, that's an opinion, but you
0: know. Well, there was—I've uh, forgotten the name of the lead in *Images*, which he did between McCabe <laughs> and Long Goodbye. Uh, Susanna York. Susanna, Susanna York, York. That was—I mean, again, I'm just going to sit here and go on about *Images* over and over again. <laughs> but that—that um, that is a film that deserves to be up there with, I think, the best horrors of the '70s. It,
2: you know. It, it, that film, you, I think there's 20 minutes or more. There's at least a third, possibly more, of that film where you don't know that half of what you've been watching is possibly coming from her perspective only. That you know you, You're watching a film that seems to be making sense and following through, and then about halfway through the film all of a sudden you realize, holy shit, maybe that's not really happening. She sees that and so And so then, everything that you've seen up to then, all the setup for it, is all out the window, and then now you're questioning your own perception, and what you know is that is that guy really there, or is he a ghost that she's hallucinating and and mm. and it, when and when you start to do that that mind screw thing you know um, and then then it it really becomes a ride the last half of the film is like you don't know which you know which what's real and then you get to see what it's like from her POV and you go oh that's what it's like to be crazy (laughs) and to hallucinate (laughs) oh I see (laughs) it's a a real it's a real it's an ups it'll throw you for a loop yeah Yeah, if you sit there and watch it it's pretty trippy and
1: there's so many little motifs too like every time like there's certain times when she sees somebody and walks into a room the camera there's there's an old style camera sitting
2: on the kitchen table and it's always pointed at her whenever she's in the room like there was a whole bunch of stuff in there that was that that goes on and it's interesting how um you know we're aware sort of generally about how much we can be influenced by film you know you go sit in the theater and and how much of that can be uh can, can really affect you this is this this puts it in your face mm-hmm. about how you can be manipulated mm-hmm. you know by 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 a piece of uh, film it's 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 interesting testament to the power of uh, of you know the, of the medium itself um and and then i mean if you really want to get deep about it you could sit here and wonder about how much um, subliminal advertising and and television influences our lives mm-hmm. and, you know all this stuff you sit here taking these images in and Images. Oh yeah, great title.
0: I think I'll use that someday. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thieves like us in '74. Fabulous, C- fantastic movie. You uh,
2: did it. Did it do well? I can't. I, it, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, it, didn't well. no. it, didn't it didn't do well. No, yeah, you know, it, it was uh, it was Bonnie and Clyde, but yeah. it wasn't. You know, it was just it was uh, a lot of these films were were offbeat enough to where the critics wouldn't take him. And, you know, that, that became the model then. It, you know, uh, okay, Europe loved him, but he was unreleasable in the States. Mm. You know, uh, domestically, domestic box office potential for these films was absolutely like this. And, of course, w- you said we would get to Popeye. There's a perfect example. You know, w- you know, about every 10 years, the b- he would convince one of the big studios to go for it. Give me, tw- <laughs> give me 20 million bucks. I'm going to make a blockbuster for you. Know? <laughs> and they would go, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We've been down this road before. And then, and then, you know, the heads would roll and a new generation would come in and there would be some, you know, uh, s- some new exec there. And he would go, okay, we're going to give you a shot.
1: <laughs> Didn't know and better. then, And then he would go,
2: ha Papa idea.
0: There was some story where s- some in, uh, investors or writers or someone came to meet with him and he kept bringing out $200 bottles of wine. And that was so impressed. And they mentioned that, to his wife later and said, you fell for that? They that were $200 bottles of wine.
2: I stole a couple of those once and got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> well, you know, there was a, like a case sitting down under the cabinet and I just grabbed a few and went out to the creek with my buddy. And he's going, if you wanted a bottle of wine, why would not you tell me I'd buy you a $5 bottle of spinata? It was $200 a bottle. I hope you liked it. Are you going to steal to get the good shit? <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Exactly. Yes, don't leave it under the counter there. <laughs> so, we said he was prolific. Sorry, this is so. <laughs> this is so true. I'm going to tell you an anecdote about how prolific he was. In the '90s, there are a lot of '70s stars who started showing up in sitcoms. You know, you had Elliot Gould turning up in Friends and George Segal turning up in Just Shoot Me. And because I was just getting into film at the time, I was and I hadn't seen everything. I was looking at them in those two shows and thinking, you know, wouldn't it be great if they'd done a buddy comedy together back in their prime? And this was before I'd heard of California Split. Oh, but man. the point is that he was so prolific that you can imagine the type of Robert Altman film you would like to see, and it probably exists.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he probably found 3 months to make it. Yeah. yeah. I just
0: I feel like I invented California split love out of sheer will. California. You, know, you
2: just created that. I wished that was a that was a very personal story by the way. That was uh you know that was kind of a biographical film. <laughs> you know, he had a he had a very um um, active gambling gene going mm-hmm. on there, which goes back through our whole family lineage, you know. His, uh, his father was an insurance salesman, okay, and, uh, <laughs> and his father was a mule trader that came in from, uh, you know, and it was, uh, snake oil people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it, sh- <laughs> so it kind of ran in the family. So. There's so, there are so
0: many stories... Um, in, uh, about him uh, only having five hundred dollars in his pocket, and it has to be for this thing. It's, he's got to go home with it, and he stops by and, and just gambles it <laughs> in a place that either uh, comes out rich. That's or, a
2: that's an old um, Hollywood joke. Is a producer says, "Oh, I got this great deal on this house for it's only a million bucks, and it's right on the beach, and it's fabulous. The only problem is they want a hundred dollars down." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, that was him. It uh, was always it was always uh, creative financing. Let's call
0: it that. Yeah. <laughs> but he recognised it because you know California Split is hilarious and it's a great film, but it's also really serious about it's how tragic. Addicted. Yeah, it's mm. tragic. <laughs>
2: it's tragic. But it's
0: all those things at once, and so he clearly saw that you know gambling was destructive
2: yeah. he, he, uh, he that, like I said that was that was quasi um, autobiographical mm. um, that film um, he he well understood the disease mm. you know so
1: and I love that it it both depicts the rush and the emptiness of the whole thing but not in a way that is in any way moralizing or didactic. It's just it's that beautiful 70s way of just presenting it all to an audience and just leaving you with it.
2: You guys are hardcore. This whole program is really hardcore because anybody that hasn't seen all these films is going, hmm, what? (laughs) You know what I mean? Anybody that would be listening to this, there's so many few people that have seen this whole... You know, there's so many films, and they cover so much ground. And you know, I'll tell you, since uh, 2006, he passed away, and since then, I've become much more. um, You know, this is not my life. I don't do Robert Altman's stuff. Uh, I've lived my entire life, um, pretty much. uh, You know, having my own life and everything like that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult and very um, huge legacy to be. Shouldering at any point, you know, because there's so much material and it's such a great thing. But, um, but having since he, since he's passed and and since I've become, you know, uh, much more you know, more opportunities like this to be able to look back at it, it's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty um, what humbling to see how much of this material there is and there's I don't know I can't imagine anybody that you have to be a really obsessive nut to have seen all of these films I mean there's there's so much (laughs) (laughs) you guys (laughs) (laughs) no exception Okay, no, I'm talking about you too. Yeah, <laughs> so we accept but that. It, yeah. <laughs> but you know, uh, uh, unfortunately, I'm I'm in that class, in that same <laughs> class. It wasn't my choice, but here I am. So uh, uh, it's 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 pretty interesting to well, be. Well, it's there. one
0: of those. I mean, we 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 do do this every month where we go through a filmmaker's entire filmography, and this was one month where I was so it was such an epic uh, journey but I was so sad when it ended and so tempted to go back and start it again. You, you just want to live yeah. in that world. Well,
2: okay. <laughs> no, trust me, trust yeah. me on this. I don't know if you really want to live there. Are <laughs> From a distance. I'll trade you me. for a while. Yeah. I'll, just, do, I'll just live in
1: the long goodbye. I'm
0: fine with that. <laughs> That's okay with me. <laughs> Nashville, I would have very happily live in. The, his, the Nashville that he depicted in 1975, one of the most iconic films, um... And one that really, like, sort of re-established him post, you know, all, all the films he'd done after *Mash*. You know, we we're talking about the two steps backwards.
2: Ma- Ma- uh, Nashville was very blatant. I mean, I mean, I've been doing business in Nashville, and you know, the only reason they even let me land at the airport there is because most of the people that are around when that film was made are all dead. <laughs> 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 but you know, he, he, he was so detested for you know by that uh, by that industry and by the community. He's so incestuous, and it's so nepotistic, and and uh, there's it, so much of that stuff it the reason that the rest of the world i think was uh one of the th- the magics about that thing is that he has um, all of these opportunities to explore human frailties you know all of the the uh you know the just the the humanism of people and and their their character flaws and what stuff and 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 without you know he never did it he never portrayed people um maliciously Mm. Mm. he just sort of like took a snapshot and said you do what you want with this but uh but it was he was he was very uh, kind of cynical in his approach and yet in some some ways he was a little bit Endearing, he mm. was, you know, he had. A, there was a certain warmth to showing people's, you know, dirty underwear. It was, uh, if you will, it was some. There was a, there was a touch of niceness. So, and that film was like one of the classic examples of. All right, you want to take a look at this industry? Here we go. Let me take a shot at Nashville.
0: Well, is is part of it that uh, like so many films, are glossy, and they, and not just glossy in how they look, but the way they depict characters. People are. Always, you know, very black and white. Even flaws are very within certain acceptable boundaries. Sure,
2: yeah, that was a, that's a standard thing that you mm. you make flawed characters so yeah. that you can redeem them. Yeah. But and there was no redemption, f- <laughs> yeah. no redemption here.
0: <laughs> well, ne- but, but next to other films, it would look like he was being incredibly. Cruel But Critical, there is an yeah. affection in, in the way he right. Shows how f-
2: Genuinely flawed Everyone is Right Yeah You yeah. see the Ronnie Blakely character And you see the I, I can't remember the gal's name But the one that was Always that, that ends up Always wants to sing And ends up closing the film I forgot her Yeah name. Barbara yeah, you, Harris Barbara Harris yeah. Thank you Albuquerque You She's you just also, gotta love her, you yeah. Know, you know what I mean, and you gotta love that spirit that says that. Okay, so I'm terrible, but this is what I really want to do, and I'm gonna do it. Damn it! And then when she gets to do her thing at the end, you just go, yes. <laughs> you know, it's and love. then and everybody's the, getting shot and dying and screaming, yeah. and she's singing, and just it's fabulous. And it it's it's, it's a such thing. a, and
1: this is a thing we find with, with with Bob's career is that the dude can stick an ending. Like, he just knows how to end stuff. Like, so many filmmakers don't have that gift. Mm. And he creates these whirlwinds of characters and action and, 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 and story and always closes it. And with Sublimely, there is... Um, Nashville is a great film and it's a great journey, but the ending, for me, may, makes it transcendent. Mm. Right. It just... Hits home like crazy.
3: Um, well,
2: you know, the, if you look, there's that's another thing that uh, was pretty common. It's like, okay, so how do you get out of this? Mm. We've taken, we're giving you a slice of life. Here's the characters. Here's the thing, and then, and then, how do you end it? And it, and then Brewster is a perfect example. Brewster ends with a circus, <laughs> right? And you know, and and we were actually my brothers and I were all we were kids. I think it was ten or something when that was Brewster was shot, or, or, or I can't remember how old was. I was, young. Yeah. But we were all dressed up in that little circus scene at the end. It was right. like, everybody get in there. Come on. <laughs> hey, here, put on a monkey suit. You know, yeah. Go ahead. And, get in the, and then um, uh, Dr. T and the Women with the, with the, with the Wizard yes. of Oz hurricane <laughs> scene is like, what? He lands in Mexico in his Cadillac getting picked up by a tornado. I mean, Ooh, come on. Really? It, Seriously? <laughs> really? You're going to do
0: this film with a. <laughs> I'm going to be a great defender of Dr. T. I think yeah. it's so underrated. That's the
1: thing, <laughs> I feel there's something about that that feels right. It's so bizarre.
2: But well, okay, there it is, there's that uh, there's a lot of stuff with that. You know, his his uh, that film is all about women. I mean, he had this big thing about women and you know, Dr. T and the women and that was his um, his 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 final, you know, statement on yeah. uh, you know, on on the differences between men and women. And so, I was mean, raised in a matriarchal environment and so that was pretty much that was the dominant theme there yeah.
0: now was i got the impression he's very interested in process particularly uh political process elections i mean there is the overt things like tenor 88 and health but there are films like nashville and kansas city and of course secret honor but with those two there's whatever's happening is against the backdrop of an election and it sort of gives you this it's like cutting to the clocks in high noon it gives this added sense of tension where things might be changing did you did he ever was he very political we just
2: we, we saw Kansas City just recently another one of my favorite uh, you know and another one of those gems but uh, that was like uh, again autobiographical in a way that was his his memories of what was going on in the you know political environment when he was growing up in Kansas City, um, so uh, and and if that theme comes up, you could never get him to talk about politics. Uh, really, there was and and and, uh, and my wife and I we don't. Talk about you know we've been married for for a long time and and you know it's still are you are you registered as a Democrat or a Republican? <laughs> we just we just don't it's, it's just it's an we don't even do it and and he never did and I never put that together. You know that, that mm. that's maybe where that's from, but he didn't discuss politics. He didn't have an opinion uh, that that he vocalized about the war, um, except through the films that he did, and you know little innuendos and stuff in his in his films. So, um, but it was always a theme in there, and yeah. I don't think that you'll find uh, even in, in like Secret Honor and stuff like that. Um, his portrayal of Nixon, you you almost like the guy. You know, I mean, yeah. he, you know. uh So he never slant. It wasn't like he never slanted anything to try to like mm. push a particular political viewpoint or a stance. He just would always. If you look at anything that has a political reference, it's always about there are issues. Mm-hmm. That's what it, not maybe what, that's why not what well, there were
0: good issues or bad issues, yeah. but there were issues. Maybe so that's why po- I was more interested in the process rather than well, where or, people still-
2: Yeah, about how that affects you know, what what's going on, like you said in the background, is the environment. The political environment exists. Mm. And, that- and that's always been constant. It doesn't matter where you are, what period of time, Roman Empire and yeah. you know. Um,
1: what you're saying is perfectly indicative of Nashville's Hell Philip Walker because the stuff the rhetoric he's saying, half Say of, again, um, in Nashville Hell yeah. Philip Walker the character, oh, right. yeah, 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 like his rhetoric that is constantly being piped through this thing is a perfect example of what you're saying because half of it is, geez, why don't we all think that? And the other half is completely Isn't insane, like nuts. Yeah, yeah. And Doesn't like,
2: Christmas smell like oranges to you? Yeah. <laughs> <just like> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and then and then there's all this great. It was great dialogue writing. Yeah, I, you know that was, was that that whole background, um, and, it, and it runs through the whole film. Is is pretty. Some of it is like, how come how come that guy isn't president? Yeah, and then all of a sudden
1: he comes out with doesn't Christmas smell like oranges to you? And you're like, because he's insane. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
0: So this. Uh, so after that, he had. A run. Yeah, now, before oh you say God. this, I Sorry, just, I just want to say... You guys are going
2: to do every film,
0: aren't you? Every <laughs> film. <laughs> oh my God. This guy, this... The doors are now locked. <laughs> yeah.
2: You can't <laughs> leave.
1: This director has more hidden gems than most filmmakers have good films. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there, because we're, we're about to go on a run of them now, and it's just kind of insane, the quality here, but... Buffalo
2: Bill and the Indians. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Uh, you know, f- probably one of Paul Newman's best yeah, performances yeah. across the board, and yet it's another one of those films that, you know, you just... Well, it's hard to say because Quintet was, Quintet was not an acting mm. deal. It was yeah. a stylized film, but Buffalo Bill, he was fabulous in I thought. Mm. I mean, and it's I such a comment
1: on, as well as... The because I I love this I love films that get it, looking back at the old west and saying you know what it's all mythological it's yeah. all myth it's all self mythologizing, <laughs> most of it's bullshit, but the U.S. have built so much of their culture on these myths. There it wasn't it's a lot more than that.
2: I mean, if you look at that film, that was really the story. Was just how much of it was just a, yeah. you know smoke and mirrors and, and how much of a showman it was and um, but. It, it, it was it was it was a great film. I, was, I wonder how
0: much was. of that he, he empathized with, because you know Buffalo Bills telling all the stories about himself that never happened, and I keep reading interviews where he um, where Bob admits that he's making up anecdotes because they sound better than what actually happened, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like totally <laughs> open about that.
2: Uh, yeah. You know, he would he said a lot of things that that were. <laughs> st- to set you up, uh, there was a lot of things that weren 't necessarily. I remember him t- telling a lot of times about films that he was thinking of doing, it would, like for instance he said i 'm going to do about film about Kansas City, and there 's going to be no music in it at all." Uh, <laughs> I went, really? <laughs> you know? And then, of course, that became the the, the jazz film of, yeah. the, of the world. Mm. fabulous. I, I love that. I got stories about that one, too. It's
1: great. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. But I will also say, too, that Buffalo Bill and the Indians also feels like a comment about Hollywood and the star system as well in terms of the way it depicts buffalo bill and the little universe of of hanger on as he's got orbiting him and using you know the the names of annie oakley and sitting bull's currency and all this sort of thing and and the way he's kind of set himself up and set himself apart and aloof from this other group and the creative differences between sitting bull and and buffalo bill feel like two stars on a movie set who aren't cogent with each other it's it's really sly it's a really terrific film yeah i don't,
2: I don't know how sly that was because it was it's pretty out front <laughs> it was a, it was a it was a direct comment on the on the whole um, industry and you know how much he detested the the machinery that was doing studio films you know and how how phony that is but there it is it was, yeah. yeah yeah
0: now if, there, if anyone is looking for like a a short list of the obscure titles you have to seek out. I'm gonna put three women up there. Yeah. Which is one of the ones we
2: have at the show here. See And it, if you haven't see seen it, it's uh, it's it's really um it's it's a journey. That's a real trip. Yeah. very interesting film and and very another one of those really psychological you know mind twisters yeah. so it's
1: I'd, I'd have the elevator pitch is Bergen, bergman's persona in texas <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it gets under your
0: skin and, and this is the one where
1: creepy th- again
0: yeah creepy you know it's a creepy
2: film it's just like well
0: well, this is the one that's and this was actually corroborated by by somebody else the story is he had a dream absolutely and he was driving past somebody was driving par uh driving with him past fox and he said hang on pull over
2: he runs into fox pitches this dream i don't know about that part but (laughs) i i I don't know i don't know about that part you know could be there could be some truth to that and but it yeah. could be one of those. Well, the story is he <laughs> came out with the deal, like, and then yeah. got back in the car, and then that was his next film. Uh, I'm not sure how that deal was put together, but I know <laughs> that this, that film, you know, you know how that, you know, you wake up and 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 the end of a dream is just kind of slipping away from you, but you remember some of the some of the key images mm. and the imagery and the relationships, and I know that that's uh, and boy, I'll tell you what, you watch that film, and if you haven't seen three women you feel like you're watching a dream i mean it really it, it really feels like that and some uh, the the thing that to, to me is the most remarkable about that film is the fact that it does come off like a dream it's got all those elements of like kind of <laughs> You know, characters that are—they're not quite all the way solid. You know, and and then they change. Yeah. the situations keep changing. Mm. You know, you as soon as you set everything up, then it's like all of a sudden it's like it's just a little bit different. It's kind of like the way your your, your dreams shift, and yeah. sometimes people change, change positions yeah. and stuff like that. So was, you know, I, I like it for that per for reason. It's depicting a dream. Mm. So
1: a very discomforting. Shift in dynamic. And again, another one of those
2: no action films. It's like, you know, you have to really be set up for that kind of a movie. You know, there's no car chases and there's no, uh, you know, there's no blood in it or anything like that. So it's it's one of those things where you really have to be in for a a slow ride. (laughs) And, And possibly
1: Shelley Duvall's Finest Hour, too really really a great job
2: and uh sissy Spacek probably one of her if not her best deal, probably one of them yeah. you know she's she's done some really really remarkable work um, uh, sissy has um, Bob Fortier, who plays the the sheriff was was one of those guys who kept showing up in Altman films mm. and he was uh, he was he was a sweet guy he he plays the um the The shooter guy that uh the, her buddy out of the shooting range and yeah. he's yeah. it's kind of a bit part, but it, you'll see him in in probably i think six seven eight films always bit parts and he was a just a sweet alcoholic. You know, he was, a, he was an old drunk and he wasn't a good actor. And, uh, you know, there was, there was a bunch of people that, that Bob used over and over again who were just like good friends and they weren't they weren't good actors, you know. But if you put them in this, they were always good for that spot, yeah. you know. And and so there was a couple of, that's one of his, um, I think his best performances, if you call it that, because the guy couldn't act. He just was him. Mm, yeah. there, was, there was a lot of people like that that were used over and over again. Yeah, yeah, a lot of familiar faces
0: turn up. Um, I, th- I think probably the, the thing about Three Women that m- really proves why Bob stands out from from everyone else is that when most people tell you their dream, it's really, really dull. When he does it, it wins awards at Cannes. <laughs> if everyone could have interesting dreams that would win awards at Cannes, I'd be much more willing to hear about your dreams. Um, now, I love the pitch for his next film, A Wedding. He said, I w- all I want is I want to have twice as many characters as Nashville, <laughs> just to see if he could. Yeah,
2: that, that's, that was the one film that I insisted on for this, um, to, you know, to bring to this um, festival. And it's probably, uh, in, my, in my opinion, I think that's probably the epitome of the ensemble cast, multiple storylines running consecutively, um, uh, just, just in a... Um, having been because I was involved in that film from the you know pre production all the way through the last it was over a year um, uh, in the editorial process and the whole thing, and watched how that goes together, my appreciation of that is sublime it 's just mm-hmm. it's, it's, it to me it represents everything that uh, that he ever um, kind of put together the multi track um, the multi track recording and the way that all the actors were paired. I mean, the, the cast of that movie alone is just yeah. staggering. You know, Howard Duff and Lillian Gish and Vittorio Gossman and Carol Burnett. Of, Carol, Carol Burn- Burnett. Fabulous. Carol Burnett, who,
0: when, he, when she was offered the film, she wasn't sure, she talked to Lily Tomlin. Uh, and he's, what's he like to work with? Lily Lily goes, it's Okay. No, she said, if he wants you to carry a spear, just go and carry a spear. It doesn't matter. Just do it. She went, oh, okay, that's high praise. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: she mean. was marvelous. Um, uh, there's so many names. Uh, so Gavin O'Herlihy which was uh, Dan he's, um son or grandson, you know, mm-hmm. who was a great silent film actor, and uh, just Pam Dauber and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the, that's right. Um Paul. Paul Dooley, Dooley. Paul Dooley. Well Paul Dooley was a, was was part of the family at that point, but um Dennis Franz and um, yes, yeah. just uh, on and on and on. He's on only non-cop role. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> <was gonna> <laughs> that film um was such a uh, such a magnificent piece of orchestration. It's it was just remarkable because um every single actor was primed with this is your backstory here's who you are this is your relationship to everybody else and this is who you're kind of paired with and this is how you're you're doing that and then they would take you know it was all shot in the, in the armor mansion um on lake bluff in illinois which was uh, armor hot dogs which was a huge um uh, company that um uh, this fabulous old mansion. Uh, so we were on location these gigantic ballrooms and big sweeping staircases and stuff like that. And and he would take these setups of this you know this wedding and he would put these all these people in this room and he would mic everybody individually. And he would have them all go in there and just all these shots were three cameras minimum or some sometimes more. We'd throw everybody in a room together and there would be all of these little subplots going on simultaneously and nobody would know when they were being shot and when they weren't being shot so it was like this kind of like a live deal <laughs> 365 degree live theater going yeah. on that was and, and so The first assembly of that film was over four hours. It was, uh, you know, just to put all the characters and all the storylines together uh, just so we could look at them, just so you could see what the material was there. And then from there, the story was kind of shaped and molded. And, 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 you know, I've always thought it would be so much fun to go back in and recut that film because you can make... Ten, yeah. fifteen different movies out of it, you know, yes please depending, you know, yeah, depending on how you who, who you wanted to feature, you know we have who, the
1: web now that could be a web series,
2: oh my God, it was just fabulous to watch that thing <laughs> come together. There was so many, so many elements happening simultaneously, and of course, everybody, uh, as much as a collaborative effort as all of these things were, I mean, you were really part of the family, and you were really part of the team if you were on one of these sh- shoots. Um, so, so, everybody was working together as a unit for the same common goal. We all watched dailies together. We were all involved in what, you know, what was the overview and what was the, what was the thing. But each person is only looking at it from their own perspective. This is my role. This is what I'm doing. And so, you know, as far as the actors go, they're all seeing their vision of what this movie's going to be. When you look at all of the stuff that was going on and you see the, you know, the only guy there that could see the whole picture was Bob and he would be sitting back in the corner. He would set all this up and then he would sit back and just kind of like, you know, pull the trigger and watch it go. (laughs) It was so cool. The dailies were endless. Wow. We, there was so much film that was shot, um, you know, all those cameras rolling and all these magnificent, huge scenes. So it, it was really amazing thing. Um, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I I say all the time, films are made in the cutting room. Mm. You know, you go out and you shoot, and it's all really good, but the films are made in the cutting room. There's the there's the penultimate example of that. Process, you know, taking place. So it was really, it was an amazing thing to watch, and I and I dearly love it. It's it's just great. There's so many good performances in there.
0: Well, you're talking about like him giving uh, actors their notes about like who, who is this person, and uh, you reminded me that one of the my favorite examples of that anecdotally comes from Michael Murphy, uh, who appears in so many films. Uh, Michael Murphy's fantastic, and he was and he turned up uh, for. Uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Uh, and he was meant to be this suit who comes in and tries to buy them out. And he said, Bob, Bob, I don't understand. Like, who is this guy? I just can't, can't get my head around him. And the prime example of so much complexity in such a simple phrase, he just said, he's somebody's nephew. And he went, okay, I've got it. <laughs> just explained everything about this character. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> now, um, we were talking about all the genres that that Bob covered like ones that you would never think and we actually Paul and I were sitting down the other day trying to think was there a genre he didn't right no um,
2: that was a that was a goal that was a target to cover as many genres right well
0: wow. he certainly got to post apocalyptic science fiction film <laughs> with quintet 1979 was not expecting that
2: yeah that uh, again you know that one may be more um uh, remarkable in its um, in, in its technical execution than its mm. storyline yeah, you know really because um, the use of the they took some the frosted lenses and the frozen look and all of the stuff that went into the production design and and the construction of this um, uh, you know imaginary post apocalyptic world um, uh, the location was ninety five percent of it, and you know and a lot of you know my brother Stephen was the production designer um, on a lot of these films and, 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 and really, if you look at it, a lot of the, all the really good ones um, mm. he was involved with and, and that was such an important part of shooting these films you know I mean every element that went into these. It was it was so much not just about the actors or just about story writing or just about the camera. It was about all of those things being uh, put together. and And Quintet was one of those films that was just a remarkable look to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it was it was really phenomenal and under some extreme conditions.
1: Mm. it was such a bizarre idea like I've never seen it really done uh, too much before or since but it's set in a frosted like a second ice age essentially and so the edges of the frame are actually frosted yeah well they did that they they actually
2: sandblasted the lenses wow I mean that was they, they actually did it was another one of those Technological innovations that they did, you know they, 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 that Warner Herzog's *The uh, The Wrath of the Gods*. You know, mm-hmm. is so you, you're so much there because. The environment and the the set and the circumstances played were such a ma- such a yeah. major element, and, and and this was one of those examples of that. You know, that was the main character in that film was the the ice age look and the feel, and that was a lot of that was done through, um, you know, going out there on the edge and doing some, you know, mm-hmm. different stuff with the, with the look of the film. Uh,
0: yeah. Well, yeah, there was so after that, a perfect couple in nineteen seventy nine. And health in nineteen eighty.
2: Perfect couple is a fabulous film. Teddy Neely, who was doing Jesus Christ superstar, and a fabulous singer of not one of my favorite people in the world, but um, uh, but but fabulous. And there's uh, Alan Nichols, who was a was a was a regular kind of a staff guy. Had mm. written some fabulous music for that. That was a really really just a. Great film, I love, I love yeah. that one, and yeah. nobody's ever seen that one either. Right? Yeah, it's, know, people I've, don't know that film, but it's really fun.
1: Yeah, I got to say, I I remember seeing Paul Thomas Anderson, who was a, was a massive fan of Bob. Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love, and of all of his films, it felt like the film that wasn't influenced by anything, until I saw A
2: Perfect Couple, uh-huh. and now I feel like I know where Punch Drunk Love comes from. Uh, well, Paul was uh, was a, was real. Um, he he was a real fan, mm. you know.
0: And then, yeah, health in 1980, the we, we You can go past that one. We can go past that I've got to say, though, health... loved <laughs> health. Yeah, I adored
1: health. Like, health's almost impossible to see, and it's, it's, it's such... Hard, it's hard to watch. It's such a great comment on the political process, and some terrific performances by Glenda Jackson and, and Burnett, again, and James Garner. And it's kind of got that Nashville pile-on type style. It's set at a health food conference, and they're electing presidents for this health food conference, including Lauren Bacall, as this absolute fruitcake, who's apparently, you know, 85 years old but looks 60, and start freezes like halfway through sentences and they have to jab her with a needle to get her restarted. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's nuts. It also features one of the best lines about politics I've ever heard in my life. Um, the Glenda Stevenson candidate is kind of right on about most things. And there's a character that's kind of shaking her down and seeing how much of a threat she is. And she sort of outlines a little bit of her philosophy and he just kind of looks at her and says, oh, you're actually for real. Then you're no threat to anybody. (laughs) And that is one of the most poignant, most chilling lines about politics and
0: so right. Well, so there is something redeeming there then. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) And then we come to Popeye. In 1980, perceived as a flop, actually did quite well. It made, it, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it made money, but it, it, it's it's kind of it's it was a marketing
2: um, uh, masterpiece. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Able to sell that film, <laughs> I can imagine
0: a lot of parents going, oh, "What the hell
1: did we just do?" But well, it's, it's worth, even if you don't
0: like it, it's worth seeing for Shelley Duvall's olive oil, which is one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, the, the closest I've seen to a cartoon character coming to life,
3: right?
0: Amazing, yeah. but yeah, it was interesting because that was. Uh, who was it? Robert Evans produced it and right. they started calling it Evans Gate. <laughs> <laughs> and so the reputation it had for being a failure was more important than the fact that it wasn't. And so that was sort of when, when Bob fell out of favor and uh, Jules Pfeiffer who oh, wrote again. Popeye yeah. said again, yeah. He said um, Pfeiffer said he was destined to go into the wilderness. If anything he we he willed himself into the wilderness. That was his fate that he had to butt heads, he had to fight the establishment, and he's also a genius. And there's only a little bit of genius that's allowed in American movies. <laughs> so it kind of feels like this is this is uh, this next period where he's doing a lot of theater. He's, he goes back to TV films; these plays for TV, he does Precious Blood and Rattlesnake in a Cooler, come back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean.
2: Yeah, then he, yeah, he went on his uh, okay. Let's we've done movies. Let's go. Let's go do else. some theatre and some, yeah. you know, and opera, you know, The Rake's Progress. Yeah. And, uh, uh, he, you know, he had been uh, moving on into some, you know, looking for new ground to mm. break, you know, new territory. But yeah, it's Popeye, it's Harry Nielsen. Come on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: right so, There's so much about Popeye that's fascinating <laughs> and so much that ultimately you think this, I don't know why he thought this would work with kids, but at the same time it is fascinating to watch it is so interesting and such mm-hmm. a great take like the the songs that are being sung are like people singing songs to themselves in the house around you know it's it's like it's like this interior monologue rather than hey let's put it on a show because we're in a movie it's like no it's kind of just people going through their day working out their stuff you know it's and it's again it gets to this kind of this truth that would continually You know, find its way into into Bob's films. It's like he had no other way of operating. Everything. uh, My partner watched Popeye, and her reaction was, "Well, he certainly made the most truthful Popeye film (laughs) (laughs) you'll ever see." And it's like, yeah. Who else would do that? Who else would make a truthful Popeye
0: film? And it's that, and in that, in itself, for all its flaws, is kind of genius but and of the of those 80s films that aren't well known you know there there are some gems like streamers and secret honor which is a monologue richard nixon philip baker secret hall secret honor nixon. the
2: amazing. fact that secret honor works is just astounding to me it's one guy in a room just monologue and you, you actually really go there by the end of the thing, you think you've been watching Richard Nixon.
0: I, it's I, a I love fabulous that. piece. When, when it was announced, Nixon yeah. sent him a note saying, Dear Mr. Altman, I'm a great fan of your films and I have always been. I particularly like MASH.
2: Sincerely, Richard Nixon. Like, <laughs> just trying to influence
0: him a little bit. <laughs> Please, God,
2: don't hurt me. Clearly it worked. <laughs> I thought it was you know I thought it was endearing you end up really feeling for the guy <laughs> I, it was it's interesting yeah. well you, you, uh, that, you know we, I grew up with this whole thing yeah. about Nixon is a bad word you know mm-hmm. what I mean it's just a he represents everything that's evil about the government and politics and and corruption and everything like that and, and, and you watch this film and it's like you're going that poor guy <laughs> you know? yeah. well really it's like some of that larger forces constantly very controlling endearing to to watch it from his POV. you know, you're in the you're in the room with the guy. Did some of that come from the fact that Nixon is a character who was
0: once powerful and was now exiled and yeah, in the I mean. 80s? That's pretty much where Bob was.
2: Well, I don't know whether the, the, the sympathy came from anything that was directly related to who he was and what he did, but I think that that was the goal was to... Uh, de-demonize him in some in some way and it is what a challenge Mm. (laughs) you know to to make the guy not into some sort of an evil you know spawn from hell that was out (laughs) to ruin the world you know Um, (laughs) i thought it was was well done the crew
1: were mainly college students that it was a semester he was
2: you know, I don't know. I wasn't there for yeah. that, and 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 that was one of those go knock it out films. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was set up. He he did that. Concept. There was a lot of periods where I wasn't even around or anything. So um, uh, some of these projects were put together, um, you know, by Hook and by Crook. Mm. Um, well, we should. I think
0: we should uh, probably move it along a little bit. We should jump oh forward. Yes. There are
2: some. There are some really
0: great gems in there, like uh, "Full for Love." Can we get a dinner break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this alone will only be a few days, folks. Yeah, um, but and then you know, the, one of my favourites, uh, the Tanner eighty eight uh, TV series, uh, very very much by you know. Uh, Did you watch they, all of it? I've watched it three times. I'm, I've been a fan of it for years. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of Gary Trudeau, so that that helped as well. But. Then he he does uh, Vincent and Theo in 1990, but his real comeback is the player... Yeah. in 92 and he ha- i should say he hated the idea of a comeback he hated the idea that people thought he could cuz he kept working he kept he said I you know, kept yeah. working he's never he kept a working
2: but it, it gets harder and harder for every bomb that you make it mm. makes it that much more difficult to finance the next film and believe me it was always a challenge and so a lot of this was uh, a lot of these films were financed by you know people that were just you know had the, had a checkbook that they could pull out and that were you know still enamored with with him regardless of what he did but uh you know you have to have a hit every once in a while or you're out of you're out of business you know you well th- did
1: you, sorry yeah. did you um was there a reason he particularly gravitated towards adapting plays because during the 80s the on- oc and stiggs was the only non-play everything else from from sort of rattlesnake and a caller to Kane mutiny court martial was was theater?
2: Well, I think that he had made a decision to um, to tackle theater. Live theater. I mean, that was just, you know, like I said. At a certain point, he said, "Well, okay, I've done this. Now I'm going to." And he had such a respect for actors. I mean, he loved the craft of acting. And so you want to see, you know, you want to see actors really, you know, working their chops. I mean, the live theater is another another world. You know, mm-hmm. you don't get a retake. You know, you don't get you don't get to like prep for your close up. It's like it's like real time and. You know, any chance that he had to be able to explore any of a medium, and, and was he was all over it. And he looked at, he was always looking for a challenge. Yeah. I mean, always looking for a challenge. And I think that that's uh, that's a great direction to go in if you really want to. You know, he wanted to establish himself as being the real deal, so uh, it was great. It seems like a natural progression. I mean, in retrospect, I mean, it looks makes sense to me now.
0: His influence extends so far that I would say we would not have had Marvel's The Avengers without him. Hear me out. (laughs) I was watching the extras for Shortcuts in 93, and there's an interview at the time while they were shooting with a very young Robert Downey Jr., who looks like he's just had a religious experience.
3: Or and he's, he's like, on drugs. Or, <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, it was <laughs> Probably 93. Probably more accurate. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, but, right.
2: but he's got it Actually, he like, was. So. Well, but he's I saying, guess. I've never
0: worked like this before. This sort of improvisation. Like, he's really, on camera, he's talking about, I've just got to work
2: like this all the time. And... He's a really bright guy, and yeah. he's a really fabulous actor, and um, and I think that uh, once he was one of those people who was, like, all of a sudden liberated, it was like somebody, you know... Opened the cage and let him out, and mm. and so you know that kind of freedom of to be able to ex- to be able to explore a character and bring something to it is uh, is life changing for a lot of actors, and there are some that just never recovered from that. Mm. So uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's one of them. So well, that that and I, I love the guy. I, I think he's just a fabulous actor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, that, that one-two hit of the player and shortcuts in 92 and 93 just – apparently he made so many deals off the back of that. Like like a and Kansas City all got sort of funded off the back of that, like immediately. And it got to the point where some investors wanted well, to be – Well, no, it
2: looks like that. Yeah. It looks like that. But you've got to remember that all these films that were, you know, that were stacking up as he was in production were, um, were, on the, you know, were, were in, in development you know there was concepts and ideas that he had for films that were always there w- was always three or four projects and you know uh when he when he passed away and uh, my brother and I are, are playing around and looking at some of the scripts that he had lying around and we're reluctant to do them or to get involved or try to push them through because they were his mm. you know what i mean and, and and nobody wants to get in there and try to like you know mess with that but yeah. like there was some really Really cool projects that had been that kept getting pushed because other things got financed first, and you know other other shows came up you know in front of that. But uh, there's there's a few of those, and and so the ones that seems like they just kind of popped up, not not all of them popped up. Yeah, some a lot of them had been you know in the in the in the back room you know Germany fermenting for years (laughs) before they were actually distilled. I think there's something incredibly old.
1: Altman-esque, ironic about his return to kind of um, Hollywood's embrace being a satire on Hollywood, you know, <laughs> kind of being this kind of, you know, oh, you shot know, at the industry. You at a point, you
2: got to laugh at yourself, and it's like, how many times can he jab those guys without them having, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> Just saying, okay, okay, you got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but Shortcuts is a straight up masterpiece. Mm. that's it's uh, another uh, one we got here it's a uh we we have Shortcuts. Yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah. Uh and I just watched that again recently too and um uh you know you forget, you know. you, you can let these things sit for a while but it's it's pr- it's pretty good. Um, that's just a just another great example of course you know you look at all the writers that he's worked with all these fabulous people um uh, the list of everybody that you've ever thought was you know uh really good that's still alive Um, you know he didn't do ragtime and and that was one of the shows that he had that he didn't make and there was there was a couple of shows that that somebody else ended up picking up and running with, and, and you can see what they did with it as opposed to what he. You can imagine that he might have done with it, but um, you know, shortcuts was uh, was just another one of those great ensemble pieces, with mm. multiple storylines, and everything like that. But um, that had been, you know, that was his interpretation of something that was written by a, a, a great writer. Mm. Yeah. you know, it's like
1: you, you almost feel a kindred spirit there in that st- in Carver's stories and Altman's approach. Like both well, that's why they,
2: you know, Bob liked real artists. He didn't. Yeah. He never suffered fools, and so that's why he was, you know, associated with people like Pfeiffer and, and Chandler mm. and, and all of these, uh, you know, the people that he ended up working with closely, mm. um, uh, were, you know, were people that he respected.
0: Well, I think I think the nineties.
2: Just, you know. Yeah, of course. Right.
0: The nineties period, he had After that, is, is quite underrated. I think you know, Porte, Kansas City, Gingerbread Man, Cookie's Fortune,
2: uh, you know, Maybe even Cookie Gingerbread cookies. Man. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> cookie's Fortune. Cookie. I love Cookie. Yeah, I love I cookies, cookie's Fortune is a great film. Even oh, oh, anything, and anything with Tom Waits in it is like. Uh, so yeah. it's okay. Yes, <laughs> I
0: like it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's. I, I, I think it's such a solid run, and it's.
2: That was a great little. That is, that is a great sprint there. Yeah. Like, towards, towards and he
0: goes through to Gosford Park. Gosford Park. Doctor T, Fab of Fab course. The... <laughs> Let's not forget Doctor T. Oh, I, I won't forget Doctor T. But um.
2: Forget what? Doctor T and T. The women. You've oh forgotten? yeah. No? What? No, yeah. <laughs> Look, I was on that. I I worked on that film for a long time, so I know a lot about it. <laughs> anyway it's okay.
0: But I like that. Uh, like he he always liked people reading their own meanings into his films. But I get the impression he didn't really like people ascribing an autobiographical motive. But it's very difficult, like when you look at something like Doctor T or Mash, because he was, you know, in the war and reading about his war experiences. It's it's almost like he, Mash was about him, uh, a bit of Vincent no. and Theo, and a little bit. But and then Malcolm McDowell in the Company, the the underseen, underrated ballet film in two thousand
2: three. That was uh, uh, Nev's project that was um yep. that was her th- that was her th- thing mm. um, i don't know what to say about that film um about the company it was uh, you know that was that was something that she had and it, he he just had one of those benevolent moments where he ran with it mm. uh, it was interesting you know it was the first i think that was the first film that he shot digital um and you know mm. and he shot that he shot that all uh, with digital cameras and he, and he finished that and I think it was an opportunity to I, I believe that was the first digital film and then he said I'll never shoot on film again what you know the the film guy says yeah. i'm not shooting on film it was like pretty remarkable but they were just the the first digital cameras were just out and, mm. and my brother bobby was one of the operators on it and nobody really explored or had done anything and they released it without saying anything about it and if i believe that's right i mm. think that was the first one that he did that was um,
1: that's incredible because yeah it um it looks gorgeous like in that case it's one of the best uses of particularly from that period
2: well he you know it's it doesn't look like it's digital. No, no. You know, no. that was the whole thing. I don't think they ever said anything when they released it, but it was just another one of those deals where he uh, was trying to, you know, push the edges of the technology and try to see what he could do with it and everything like that. But that the challenge there was to to not let anybody know that it was digital cameras that they well. shot on. And, of course, that just changed the whole – we had already gone through – I can't remember where the first shift was – um, with using um, uh, digital intermediate post-production where you weren't actually cutting on film and, and uh, you know all the dailies were transferred to digital and then we would do digital editorial and of course the first Avid's were like $100,000 and at that time and now you can do it all on an Apple I mean I could, <laughs> you've got, you, you know you could do it for 1200 bucks, and you've got that entire post-production process in your fingertips and uh, you know that wasn't true at first but he was the first one to buy all that equipment, which was obsolete within a year, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all those really expensive editing systems and stuff like that were like um, they were they were like, like I said, kids can do it now. Um, same thing with the digital photography. Uh, you, we never talked about. Um, I think you skipped over. Um, I did. I'd uh, my eye on the wa- on the time, <laughs> but uh-huh. yeah, no, yeah, you no, know, I know where, I know where, I don't know how you guys are dealing with this uh, going on and on and on, but i so loving stuff. it. But uh, <laughs> the uh, Sam Shepard thing. Fool for Love. Fool for Love. I love Fool fabulous. for Love. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah, mm. Fool for Love, a fabulous film, and, and, and it, all Sam Shepard stuff. You know, Sam's not the guy that you're going to sit here and, and do something with one of his plays, okay? Yeah. He's, mm-hmm. not, he's not somebody you want to go mess with, <laughs> <laughs> all right? Um, and so it was interesting that they were able to work together. Of course, Sam, you know, he wrote it and he acted in it, and it was his movie. But it was definitely had, for some reason, those two guys managed to get along. Mm, yeah. But there was some um, some post production processes that were done. That was one of the first films that was shot um, on Super 35, which was a two thirty five aspect two three five aspect ratio on a flat lens. So it was basically CinemaScope. But it was shot without the anamorphic lens, so uh, you didn't have all of the drawbacks and all of the limitations, which he exploited. He loved shooting, cinema, you know, anamorphic. Uh, you know, it, it was it had a, a very limited f- field of focus. Uh, you know, you could do pans on, you know, wide shots, and the the, the sides would kind of get a little wavy, and hmm. and they they utilized that as a. Um, you know, as an art form, they tried to like take those flaws and 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 utilize them. So, uh, using the 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 flat lens and the wide aspect ratio, and then they would they would uh, do the they would do the compression uh, in post, uh, and that wow. started to become uh, a, a common thing. Mm. So now you're now you're shooting uh, two thirty five aspect ratio widescreen. CinemaScope range With a flat lens Mm -hmm. Which was Opened up all kinds of stuff Stuff like that You never know Yeah Silver retention process That was done I think on Um um, I can't remember the name of it. It was some Western that they did. Uh, Big Western was using that at the time, where they would, um, in the bath at the lab, they would take out all the silver and it would give that not a sepia tone look, but a kind of a different um, you know, flavor. It was always some little mm. thing that was going on um, technically that, yeah. that that you that he never told you about. You yeah. know that, that nobody said anything about. It. Mm. Crazy.
1: Now, as much as the company was Nev's project, there is something very. I felt like that Malcolm McDowell character. His his name is. He's the director. His name is Mister A. His 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 cast of mainly women adore him. He has his for some of his first direction to people is, you're too pretty. It's too fancy. Um, mess it up. You get all that crap out of there. You'll just come together. It all. It, it's. I don't like it being pretty. I want it to be. And it's like it's. It's Altman speaking.
2: Right. It's. There's a lot of that on the surface. But if you if you look at the character, you know, from his from his point of view, he was giving you all of that. Mm. Yeah. But right. but everything was always layered. You know, there was always stuff going on in the background. So, yes, that was a big, was a big spoof on himself. It, uh, that was him making fun of himself and having some fun with that. Well, uh, and, and, and having fun with the legend. Yeah, right. Okay, more than anything else. Not who he was, but what people perceived him as. So.
0: Well, there is something incredibly poignant about his final film, A Prairie Home Companion, which is very much about endings and, and, and about uh, death and i don't know how much of that was conscious, but well, in, in context now
2: how, how do you how do you put how do you put, i don't know how you guys figure that out but uh um watching that film was um uh, that whole theme with the angel of death and yeah. the, that being the last film that he did and all that kind of stuff you gotta wonder like you know was the guy some kind of a mystic or something i mean i it it was it was very um Uh, emotional for me you know because I could see that all those elements in that film before he passed you know right after that Mm -hmm. he built that in there he knew it was happening Uh, you know he knew what was going on Mm -hmm. so um, that's always a that's always that's also in this festival but that was his. He, I, I think that he knew. I mean, there was a couple of. There was always a few shows. But I mean, he was in and out of the hospital a lot. He was very frail. He was very sick, and uh, he was about ready to go down. And uh, it, he told the nurses and the staff at the hospital, he goes, uh, they, they're going. You can't. You can't. You can't go back to work. You can't leave. And he goes, I'm going back to work. You can come with me if you want to. But you know, bring bring the uh, you know bring the little stand with the IVs and bring your your bleeping (laughs) machines if you want to but uh, i'm going down on the set i got a movie to shoot and and, you know damn the torpedoes so uh, that was his that was his deal he was gonna he was gonna die on the set and basically that's what he did so
0: well it's it's sad in in some respects and yet so inspiring that like from this is one of my favorites of his films and that he can like after all those years he's still firing on all cylinders (laughs) Yeah. He's so extraordinary to watch, and you know,
2: I, f- I, I never felt any sort of you know he never felt sad about it. I never felt like particularly sad about it. You know, everybody's everybody's going to go, and mm-hmm. nobody gets out of this one alive. So, um, and he had a very uh, you know a very very staunch attitude about it. He was like he knew exactly what his life was about. He knew what he wanted to do. It was never he was never pretentious about it or um, or ingenuine in any way. So. Um, and he ended up doing exactly what he wanted to do, the way he wanted to do it, right up to the last minute. And that's you know, I I just got to admire the guy for that. So absolutely, yeah. I, we, I, we made it, right? We, it. <laughs> we did it.
0: <laughs> I'd like I, I would like to uh, I would like to end on a questionnaire from Vanity Fair in April two thousand and six that uh, he was given. The question was, if you were to die and come back as a personal thing. What do you think it would be? Answer, I'm immortal. (laughs)
2: Love it. Oh, that was very tongue-in-cheek, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) Michael, thank you so much for coming out to Sydney, for talking to us about your father's work. It's been a real honour. It's been. Well, you guys
2: to... are great, and you and um, and I love the f- the fact that you've got you know that you were able to dial in on so much of this stuff. Um, uh, again, it's not this is not my my life or anything like that. But I really um, I love the stuff. It's not what I you know it's not what I do or anything like that. But it's it's really great to talk to you guys and for for all of the homework and the, for you to watch all those films is just you you may be on a very short list <laughs> to have
0: seen everything. Hopefully, the show will make uh, the you,
2: list. You, yeah, in fact, I think that. there's some stuff that you may have seen that I still haven't I'll, I'll, I'll lend you some, lend you some <laughs> ladies and w- gentlemen would you please thank Michael Altman uh, we have some great sh- we have some great films uh, at the festival here and if you if there's some of them you haven't seen you should, uh, you should check them out it's, pre- it's pretty fun
0: absolutely yeah. and we'd like to thank uh, Matt Revere and the Sydney Film Festival for having us uh, please go to Hell is for You can hear all of our previous episodes and future episodes. And thank you very much for sticking with us. We ran way over time, but I hope you'll agree it was worth it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks all.